Welcome to IBGI's Ortho Inform, where we talk all things ortho to help you move better, live better. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Shahab. With Ortho Inform, our goal is to provide you with an in-depth resource about common orthopedic procedures that we perform every day. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Brian Weatherford, who will be speaking about the treatment of ankle fractures. As a brief introduction, Dr. Weatherford hails from Texas and received his undergraduate degree with honors from Vanderbilt University, where he studied molecular biology and Spanish. He returned to his home state and graduated first in his class from the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. He was also inducted into the prestigious Alpha Omega Alpha Medical Honor Society in 2007. He continued his medical education here in Chicago, where he began his residency in orthopedic surgery in 2008 at Northwestern University's Spineberg School of Medicine. After residency, Dr. Weatherford completed not one, but two years of specialty surgical training. His first year was in trauma surgery at the nationally renowned Shock Trauma Center in Baltimore, Maryland in 2013 and 2014. The following year, Dr. Weatherford completed his second year of specialty training in foot and ankle surgery at Orthopedic Associates of Michigan in Grand Rapids, where he trained with nationally recognized surgeons who specialize in complex foot and ankle disorders. After completing his surgical training, Illinois Bone and Joint Institute recruited Dr. Weatherford, where he has been recognized as a clinical leader in both trauma and foot and ankle surgery. He has quickly ascended the ranks due to his clinical and surgical excellence and is now the Director of Orthopedic Trauma at Advocate Lutheran General Hospital and the Site Director for the Orthopedic Residency Training Program. In addition, he has trained up-and-coming foot and ankle surgeons in the IBJI Fellowship. He is a reviewer for the Journal of the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons and for Foot and Ankle International. He is an editor for OrthoBullets, which is a resource for continuing medical education for practicing orthopedic surgeons. He is also an editor for the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons Patient Education Bulletins. Dr. Weatherford has helped thousands of patients recover from significant traumatic injuries and restore their mobility and their lives. He is a tireless worker, a dedicated perfectionist on behalf of his patients, a respected mentor to aspiring orthopedists in training, and a trusted colleague with impeccably good judgment in the face of the most complex injuries we encounter as orthopedists. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome Dr. Weatherford to IBGI's Ortho Informed Podcast. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Eric, thanks for having me, and thanks for the introduction. I'm, uh, I don't know what to say. That's, that's <laughs> it's all true. Uh, <laughs> so uh, before we set off on ankle fractures, I just want to know what your experience was like at shock trauma. Oh, uh, it was incredible. It, it was an amazing year. I mean, so it, I think it's a very unique place. I, I, I mean, potentially uh, Harborview in Seattle is similar. So so what it is, it's, it's what's called a regional trauma center, actually. So, so it actually has a state designation as essentially the only trauma center in the state of Maryland. So it's like if every in traumatic injury in the state of Illinois with a certain injury severity score went to one hospital. And so they have these six state trooper helicopters that just bring everything in from all over the state to one place. And so it's, you know, we get some, you know, kind of inner city ballistic injuries and things like that. But a lot of it's just these hor you know, horrible kind of, uh, you know, blunt traumatic injuries that come in. And what's incredible about it, so that you land on the roof, everything comes, like more than 50% of the traumas that you get are flown in, actually. And so it lands on the roof. It goes to this thing called the trauma resuscitation unit or the true. And so that's run by critical care trained anesthesiologists. So you're not coming in through an ER. You're going right to an ICU, basically. And then you go right down the hall, and there's the operating rooms. And it's wow. just incredible. I mean, you see people, just these horribly injured patients. There's just, it's just an amazing place. It's a, great, it's a great place to be. I mean, yeah. for the listener, I mean, it's, it's like being 
trained by the Navy SEALs of orthopedists, by, by the elite forces in the Marine Corps. I mean, it's, it's well, a real... Well, to that, to that point, actually, they, they have all the military programs rotate through there because <laughs> okay. it's the closest you're going to get to a battlefield setting, actually. It literally is. So you have all of the, every one of the military orthopedic residency programs goes through there um, for their trauma experience. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know, when we talk to patients about orthopedic trauma surgeons and sports surgeons, I'm not sure people really understand what we're talking about, but probably one of the best definitions I've heard about what a sports physician is and what a trauma surgeon is is that the sports medicine physician is dealing with low energy trauma and the type of trauma that injures the soft tissues such as ligaments and tendons. Whereas the specialty of orthopedic trauma surgery is for much higher energy trauma that results in broken bones. I don't know what you think about that definition. Yeah, I think like anything else, they're both spectrums, right? I mean, so in other words, I mean, there can be high energy injuries that are multi-ligament knee injuries, for right. instance, right? That, right. that are that are sports that are much better dealt with by a sports medicine. But yeah, I mean, in general, I think it's fair. I mean, I think that... On the flip side of that is that I think of orthopedic trauma surgery as both exactly like traumatic injuries. Like if people think about car accidents, falling off a ladder, something like that. But it's also just fracture care. Yep. I think you're an expert in how to fix a broken bone. Yep. And then in addition, you saw training in foot and ankle surgery. Um, and in high energy drama, some of the most disabling injuries are around the spine and pelvis. But the ones that seem to stick around are the injuries to the foot and ankle. That's, that's, that's correct. And there, there's studies to, to validate that, basically. So in other words, the, the injuries that actually seem to impact or negatively impact people the most can be injuries to the foot and ankle. They've actually looked at that in trauma patients. And so kind of my inspiration for that was, was a few different things, actually. So I, I saw that in my residency, actually. So I would see these patients that came in who had these injuries that were like a, a calcaneus fracture, a broken mm -hmm. heel bone, right? Mm -hmm. And so that may be fixed by the trauma surgeon, but I like to follow these patients and I would see that th they were still having issues. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that the trauma guys were the end of the line. Like that's it. The buck stops here. And they'd be like, well, uh, you need to go see the foot and ankle guy. Now I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so, but a few other things happened. And a couple of guys that I really look up to in the orthopedic trauma world actually transitioned, um, into becoming kind of these, I would say, Foot, they were foot and ankle surgeons. I mean, so so Ted Hansen, mm -hmm. who, who started the Harborview program in Seattle, he's, he was the father of orthopedic trauma in the U.S., basically. He became a foot and ankle surgeon and ran right. a very prestigious foot and ankle fellowship for the last 25 years of his career. Right. Uh, so it's a natural it's a natural, it, it's a natural, natural progression. There's a lot of overlap with the yep. two. Yeah. So, again, you're the perfect person then to talk about ankle fractures or topic of the day. And... Um, I just wanted to begin with the anatomy of the ankle for our listener. If you can give a simple explanation of the bones of the ankle and if there is a such thing as a simple explanation. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, no, but the, bone, the ankle is made up of three bones that are connected by various ligaments, right? So the three bones are the tibia bone, which is a large bone. Your shin bone makes up the roof of the ankle, basically. And that makes up the inside part of the ankle, or it's called the medial malleolus or the knob. Malleolus means knob on the inside of the ankle. The outside of the ankle is the fibula bone, which is the smaller of the two bones, uh, but has a lot of important ligament connections to it. And then the base of it, or the bottom of the ankle, is made up of the talus bone, which looks, uh, the term is a frustrum, like a cone that's been cut and turned <laughs> upside down. I don't think that makes sense, but, but it basically is a box. It makes what's called a mortise, where the talus fits snugly between the tibia and the fibula. Got it. And then with that anatomy in mind, what are some of the most common areas where an ankle can break? 
So the most common injury is going to be the fibula bone, right? Mm -hmm. So by and large, if you're looking at just at the most common injury, that's going to be what we call a rotational injury or a twisting injury to the foot, usually a low energy mechanism. Someone slips on the ice, misses a step. Um, they have a twisting injury and they injure the, the fibula bone uh, on the what we call what I would refer to as the outside of the ankle. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that because of the smaller nature of the ankle or of uh, the, of the it, fibula? It's actually, so yes, one, it's a smaller nature, but I think two, it's also just the direction of the mechanism of injury. So usually just the way people fall is usually their foot's fixed and they're falling away from it. So twisting to the outside, we think is usually how that bone gets injured. Got it. And then what are some of the common presentations? I mean, you hear about people with ankle fractures walking in your office or mm -hmm. playing a football game with a broken ankle. And I'm sure we understand why that can happen, but how does it happen? I think it's a spectrum, right? You know, the hard part is you can have very, very devastating injuries from a similar kind of just a, a twist in the wrong way at the wrong time. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you're, especially if you're playing sports, right? If you're, got, if you're fixed in a cleat or a boot or a skate, like an ice skate, for instance, mm -hmm. I've definitely seen hockey players who get checked against the boards, get twisted, their ankles sore, and then they come in a few days later and they happen to have a, what we call a non-displaced fracture. They just have a crack in the bone. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's one of the ways it can happen. How do, in general, patients present with an ankle fracture? I'm sure there's a spectrum. Let's, let's divide it up first in the low-energy ankle right. fractures, and then we can talk about the higher-energy level ones later. But let's start with the lower-energy ankle fracture, the ones that we usually see on the slips in the ice on days like today mm -hmm. or um, through sports. How do they typically come to you? What's the range of presentation? Yeah, I mean, I think the typical presentation is, like, for folks coming into the ortho access clinic, right? So, I mean, you're going to see... Pain, swelling, bruising, usually more located on the outside of the ankle. Some of the people are still able to put weight on it. So you're able to put weight, but it's obviously harder to put your full pressure on the leg. And then just certain things, like, again, like twisting movements are going to bother it more. So if someone, that person is trying to walk a golf course on an uneven surface, they're going to have a hard time doing it. And then when you see a patient with an ankle fracture and you're doing your physical exam, what are some of the things you're looking for? So the biggest thing I'm looking for is not to miss the subtle things. So, so I mean, I think anyone can tell, you know, when someone's got an injury to uh, a fibula bone, for instance, it's painful, bruised, swollen, right? But, but what I want to make sure of is, okay, you know, this is this is pretty obvious that injury is here, but I'm checking the other areas around it to make sure, okay, well, I know that this is going on, but I want to make sure it's not distracting from some other thing. Like they also have a fibula fracture closer to their knee, or the inside of their ankle is really sort of indicating they might have a ligament injury on the other side. So that that's my that's my thing is that anyone, you know, a lot a lot of people can pick up on on that injury but the question is what else is going on obviously with the ankle it's not just the bony injury it's the soft tissue injuries around it as well that you're seeking out in your physical exam and trying to ensure that there's not injury to those as well right because that would affect your treatment obviously yes okay and then what, what about some imaging studies um, x-rays obviously play a big part but you can do some things with the x-rays correct you can. Uh, it's an area of controversy, actually. So, so historically, what we would do is is what's called a stress view. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so if someone comes into your office with a fibula fracture, right? Mm -hmm. The biggest thing, which I kind of points to where we're going, is is figuring out whether the ankle is stable or not stable, and that's a huge kind of break point because one indicates that you can probably walk out of the office, and the other one indicates that you might need surgery. Uh, so historically what we do is called a stress view, which is either you manually manipulate the ankle in the way you think it was injured to look to see if it opens up or mm -hmm. shifts in an abnormal way on x-ray. And that we think should be used as a criteria for having surgery or not having surgery. Um, just to go into that a little bit more, mm -hmm. there's been a big movement towards weight bearing x-rays because what we're really looking at is, is the ankle stable 
when you're putting weight on it. Right. That's all we care about. Because that if it, if it does, if the ankle stays in the right place when you bear pressure on it, guess what? You don't need surgery. You could probably walk out of there. Yeah. Uh, but if the ankle shifts abnormally under what's called a physiologic load, which is your body weight, then that's probably a better indication. Got it. So the big important point with evaluating an ankle injury, whether it's broken or not, is, is the ankle stable, right? That, that's really where the force so 100%, the is. And, and it's, it's looking at basically the talus bone. So all you're looking at is like, does the talus stay directly underneath the tibia or does it not? That's that box bone you were right, talking about. Bottom of the ankle. If the bottom, if the foot, if it, basically literally, if you're looking at the connection of the leg to the foot, mm -hmm. if the foot is staying squarely underneath the leg, there's not much to do. If the talus which connects literally bridges the the leg to the foot if that's shifting abnormally there's a problem and that will create issues we think both short term and long term so those athletes playing on an ankle fracture almost invariably have a stable injury in order for them to be able to do that absolutely and then other people who are coming in they may have a stable injury but unable to walk on it they may have a stable injury but really swollen and look terrible right um, and then what about do unstable injuries ever present relatively innocuously where they look like no big deal, but then, boy, it's really kind of completely unstable? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that's, I mean, so the, the classic version of that, which I've seen a number of times, is basically you can have a, a, what I would term a primarily ligamentous injury to the ankle, right, with very, very subtle x-ray findings mm -hmm. and those are the people where you're looking at okay is it hurting up by your knee because sometimes you have this thing called a maisonneuve fracture which is french people love the name stuff right <laughs> so so all it means is that that you had a really bad ligament injury to your ankle and the energy of it literally traveled up the leg and exited the fibula bone up by your knee and so yeah those people can have a very subtle presentation where you may just have like a little crack in the tibia bone but it's a really unstable ankle got it got it and then besides x-ray and physiologically loading the x-ray to see for stability, what are some other modalities of imaging that you like to use? Yeah. I mean, so, so it's interesting. So, so I think you're going to get a lot of controversy on this, right? Okay. So, I, so uh, I'm not a fan of MRI for these. I find it not that useful, actually. I mean, even though it's, it would make sense, right? I mean, you'd be looking for ligament injuries. I, I honestly think you can infer a lot of the ligament injuries by x-ray. I actually am a big fan of CT scans. Okay. Um, so now this goes into someone who I think is going to need surgical treatment. Mm -hmm. um, so in other words, I'm not using the CT to determine whether or not someone needs surgery or not. But I think absolutely you want a three-dimensional roadmap of the ankle if you're going to fix it. And, and there are actually studies looking at that as well, that, that CT scans of unstable ankle fractures will change someone's operative plan a significant percentage of the time. So you already made the decision about stability or instability basically by the x-ray. That's it, yeah. And then MRIs you don't find as useful, if useful at all. And CT scans are really helpful at mapping out what type of surgery you want to do to stabilize that ankle. Right, looking at the fracture, so looking at the way the fracture is, looking for subtle injuries that I didn't pick up on the x-rays right. that may change how I treat it. Yeah. And a CT is five minutes. I mean, it doesn't take very long. An MRI is 45 minutes, and there's a huge difference in expense. Correct. So all of this really makes a big impact on the medical system. For your decision for surgery, I, I assume I already know the answer. I mean, how do you base that decision for surgery? Stability, correct? It is. But it's also an individual thing, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's what, you know, what is the patient looking to get back to? Are, you know, and, and are 
you know, there's sur every surgery has risk. Every surgery, no matter how well-intentioned or how quote-unquote simple it may be. So you've got to engage the patient in that decision no matter what. I mean, right. and I've had people with really unstable ankle fractures who just said, you know, I'm worried about surgery. I, I'm concerned. I will, I will accept the risk of treating it without surgery. And that's okay. I mean, that's, a, that's yep. it's, it's the definition of a shared decision-making process. Yeah. When we talk about non-operative treatment for the ankle, you know, if you watch television shows, you'll see people in long plaster casts with uh, their leg strung up on the hospital bed. Yeah, sure. But what really happens? How do we typically treat a patient with a stable ankle fracture that does not need surgery? Yeah, so I mean, a stable ankle, if you determine the ankle is stable, then I let them bear weight immediately in a walking boot. And, and to be honest, I mean, they possibly could do without the walking boot. I mean, that's mm. so I do it for patient comfort, but I don't think it's actually necessary because they probably walked into the office without it. Weight bears tolerate immediately in a walking boot for a stable ankle fracture pattern. I usually tell them it's more comfortable to be in the boot for three or four weeks, mm -hmm. but they don't have to be. And then at the three or four week mark, I'm going to re-examine them, usually get them into physical therapy because I do think that accelerates their recovery. And then basically just let them advance their activities as they feel comfortable. So the weight bearing is tolerated concept isn't that patients are being forced to put all their weight on the ankle right away. I mean, they obviously can use crutches sure. or the wheel walker for pain relief, but it is safe for them to put as much weight as they can. Exactly right. Okay. And then in terms of surgery, it's the decision to do surgery is you have an unstable ankle. We feel that your ankle stability will be best restored with the procedure as opposed to as opposed to treating in a cast yeah. exactly and so so for those patients right so i mean that's someone who cannot be like i can't i can't let them bear weight i can't let them be in a boot and actually that's one of the big things that i think we don't really touch on is the significant negative impact of not being able to put weight on their leg that right. it has on a patient it, it actually and this has been studied extensively not just on the actual area that's injured but just on their quality of life in general um, so yeah, I mean that that's in someone basically the the basic principles of fracture care for any joint injury, not just the ankle, are stable fixation mm -hmm. to allow for early range of motion. So you want to take a joint that's unstable and make it stable because what we know is that the joint will benefit from the motion. That's actually how the cartilage, you know, which is well. which yeah. is which is your your <laughs> life right there. Yeah, that's how the cartilage gets its nourishment is the movement of the of the synovial flow, the fluid in the joint. So if you're not doing that, that's unhealthy for the ankle. The other thing too is that ankle arthritis, unlike other joints like the knee or the hip, the number one cause of ankle arthritis is trauma, mm -hmm. right? And so it, it is like restoring the joint stability is absolutely critical. So what happens if you don't restore the stability? Is the ankle more likely to become arthritic? Is it definitely destined to be arthritic? Yeah, I think it's a spectrum. I mean, yeah. I think I think in some circumstances, yes, it's like arthritis. Like if, if you, you don't know restore, it's coming. you know it's coming. It's it's just it's it's going to happen and it's going to happen soon. Uh, in other situations, it's unclear, right? I mean, so so we have these you know kind of radiographic markers and things that we look at. I don't think anyone's followed that really long term. Mm -hmm. But what I can tell you anecdotally is. The vast majority of patients that I have coming into my office with ankle arthritis have it because of an injury. Yeah, have it because of a traumatic injury. Yep. And it's not. And it's not a high energy. It, it's it's a rotational low energy ankle fracture. I slipped in the snow. Yes. I, yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah. And 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 then in terms of the timing of surgery, there's several options. Again, there are probably some variables here we should talk about. So yeah. Um, when you have an ankle that is deemed something that would be better treated operatively, an ankle injury that would be better treated operatively than non-operatively. 
What's the timing like? How, how do you make that decision regarding the timing of surgery? For the vast majority of low-energy ankle fractures, it is safe to operate as soon as you can get the patient to surgery. Okay. Um, and and I, I really firmly believe that. And so, and so I, I try to, to get people to surgery quickly because the sooner you repair the ankle, the sooner they're moving, the sooner they're back to their life. Yeah. Um, in certain instances, you know, again, like it's, it's a spectrum. If someone has a, an injury that's still a, a bad injury, then yeah, you might have to wait a little more. But the problem with that is that it's such an unstable injury that you're holding them in a splint or a partial cast. That's probably not keeping their ankle where it's supposed to be. So it's like this vicious cycle. Right. So I, I mean, Again, this is an area that I haven't touched in a long time, but we always used to be fixated, supposedly, on the soft tissue envelope. How does the how do the skin look? How's the swelling? But in general, you're saying that if it's in reasonable shape, get to it as soon as you can because you can put the ankle back together and not have the consequences of immobility, not right. having the time add up at the end of the recovery, and, and also just holding it much more beneficial way as opposed to a splint where it's unstable and rattling around essentially right so that's the thing is like the stability of the joint affects the soft tissue swelling right so if you have a grossly unstable ankle fracture you're trying to manage in a splint then it's it's going to be really hard to get the swelling down for that because it's still all moving around no matter how good your splint is so and, and no no one's ever said that no one's ever validated this concept that you have to wait on an ankle fracture. Right. It's just sort of something it's, that's... It's dogma that's been passed down, right. and, and which which is made to be broken. Right. Yeah. Dogma versus dog do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then surgically, when you're putting an ankle back together, just tell our listener what you're using. Yeah. So, so I mean, that it's individual, but in general, um, it's done as an open procedure. Um, so there is some debate as to whether arthroscopy uh, is of, of value when you're doing ankle fractures. I actually was, I actually did a podcast for the American Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Society uh, about whether or not it was of value, um, because you can look inside the joint better than you can with fixing it regardless with the arthroscope with the arthroscope yeah yeah now what you do with it is a different story so so the but what you're doing basically is you're making incisions where the fractures are which goes into your planning like the ct scan you're repairing the fractures anatomically meaning you're putting the puzzle together absolutely perfectly and this is when i'm teaching residents this is the most important point if you don't get the fracture reduced perfectly anything else you do is irrelevant you can use whatever system or plate or screw or suture you want doesn't matter so the number one thing is putting the puzzle together perfectly and then we're usually using small screws or plates which are strips of metal mm -hmm. with screws to hold it stable and they work incredibly well correct oh yeah and totally compatible with almost everybody <laughs> yes yeah. yeah so it's yep. it's it's very rare if ever that it's going to going to cause an issue so what can patients expect after they've had their ankle operated on fix, stabilize with the plates and the screws that you've discussed? Yeah. So I, I tell people um, there are absolutely phases to recovery. So so one of the things is I am a big believer uh, in early motion, mm -hmm. right? So, so what I would see in my residency sometimes is like people would have their ankle repaired and then they wouldn't be allowed to move it for six weeks. And I just like, blew my mind and right. so um so i when i fix people i'm letting them move within two days of surgery so it's uh, uh we do something in particular which i actually took from 
uh, from Steve Haddad, one of my mentors, as ashamed as I am to say that, uh, <laughs> that uh, that's called uh, compression wrapping, which is lymphedema treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's brilliant. I mean, so he was using this. I started to use it for our fractures. We've actually published on this now um, for other injuries to the foot and ankle. So explain that. You're wrapping the ankle so, to basically so, squeeze the swelling yeah, out yeah. of it? Yeah, it's, it's a lymphedema treatment like they would use for people with chronic swelling of their legs, like people who have had uh, a lymph node dissection for cancer. Yeah, yeah. And so it works exceptionally well. I mean, I can't, it's one of the most like eye-opening things I've seen since I started practice. Okay. Such a simple concept. But yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And then, and then, so that's within the first week, first, I would imagine, first two days. First, first two weeks. So we start yeah. that. I have a physical therapist licensed in wound care either coming to the patient or they're going to outpatient physical therapy. Mm-hmm. They start the compression wrapping, and then the physical therapist has instructions about how I want them to start moving their ankle, what things I want them to avoid, what things I want them to do. Mm-hmm. So they do that for the first two to three weeks. And then depending on the injury pattern, at two to three weeks, the sutures are removed, mm-hmm. right? And then I have them start to put weight on it at two to three weeks post-surgery, usually at about the six to eight week mark, they're transitioning back into regular shoes. So they've been in a walking boot. They're starting to get into a shoe. Mm-hmm. They're starting to increase what they're doing with physical therapy. Now it's not just move your ankle, walk this way. Now you're working on some agility, starting to work on your balance, on your muscle strength. And this is actually, this is the area where I think we've made a lot of improvements mm-hmm. is, is, is not just our technique. It's not just the surgery. It's, it's the rehab. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge difference maker. Yeah. And then six months after an ankle fracture, again, there's a wide it's variability. wide in variability. Outcome. Yeah. So I tell people that you're going to get a lot better up to three months. You're going to plateau at three months. Six months, you're going to turn a corner and it's going to feel great. But you may not feel like your ankle again for up to a year. Up and to that, a year. Yeah. Okay. So you may be back to doing everything you were doing, but it's just like the trust, right? The proprioception, the, the willingness to be able to trust your ankle to do everything you needed to do. It can take up to a year. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk a little bit about the higher energy ankle trauma and the common mechanisms would be falls from height, car accidents at high speeds, some athletic injuries where you've seen people land and have these relatively grotesque injuries right on the television. Explain the challenges that are presented with those higher energy ankle injuries. What we were touching on earlier, the soft tissue injury. So it... Those injuries are not just an injury to the bone. It's an injury to everything. Mm-hmm. And, and most, maybe most importantly, it's an injury to the skin. I mean, some of these injuries are open injuries where the bone, unfortunately, comes through the skin. And so uh, for those injuries, typically we're managing them in a, what we call a staged fashion, okay. <clears throat> meaning that a lot of those people need an initial surgery to apply a device called an external fixator, um, which helps to realign the limb helps to put everything back in the ballpark of where it belongs. And it's actually much better for managing their injuries. It gives you access to the soft tissues that have been also basically right. blown apart right. by the traumatic by the injury. injury. And, and, and actually that same compression wrapping where I'm doing that on these patients too. Once I know it's safe, I usually give them a good 48 hours mm-hmm. to make sure that there's not too much swelling. And then we're doing the same thing. And, and anecdotally, and we're going to try to publish on this too, is that we've seen that we can get these people to surgery faster with that. Historically, it would take two weeks or more. Their definitive surgery, the yeah. surgery that's really going to put them back surgery together. Surgery to repair the fracture on the inside, making an incision. We're getting them there at one week instead of two to three weeks. Okay. So these, these higher energy injuries where the leg may be grossly deformed, mm-hmm. the skin may be broken, the bone popping out, very commonly you'll apply this external fixator device to stabilize the ankle, to align it, put it in the ballpark, as you said. Mm-hmm. And then 
allow you access to the soft tissues to care for them, whether it's the compression wrapping or other techniques to, to keep mm -hmm. it um, from becoming more problematic. Mm -hmm. And doing these techniques will allow you to get back or will allow you to the next surgery where you're really putting it all back together. Yes, correct. Just like you would for a low energy ankle injury where you're trying to put these pieces back as closely as anatomically possible. Right. And the goal is the same, right? The goal is fix it in a stable way, fix it perfectly so you can start moving as quickly as possible. But those surgeries sometimes can take a, a long time. That's why you have to be dedicated to it. I mean, you have to be able to be willing to devote sometimes four hours or more to putting the puzzle together. And yeah. I, I'm amazed at the precision and the dedication to be able to put a very complex high energy injury to the ankle back together in relatively limited space and also making sure that you take care of the soft tissues so that once you put it all back together, it's encased in an environment where it's going to heal. Yeah, it is. It's one of the, so those injuries, we call them pilon fractures, mm -hmm. which is French for pestle, which is like a crushing. It's a, it's a name for the mechanism of injury where the end of the tibia is crushed. I mean, those injuries are some of the most challenging where it's just, it, it, it can absolutely, you can be mentally exhausted and physically exhausted after those cases. So let's go now to the possible pitfalls of ankle surgery for ankle fractures. The hardware can be an issue. The skin envelope can be an issue. Infection can be an issue. So go through each of these potential complications that you see when you're meeting a patient who has an ankle fracture, you're taking them to surgery, as you mentioned earlier. There's no minor procedure. Right. So, so how do you counsel your patient about what risks they may incur by having their ankle operatively fixed? So the things that I talk to them about are that there is a risk of an infection with a low-energy ankle fracture mm -hmm. in an otherwise healthy person. That risk is exceptionally rare. You're talking about a 1% or 2% chance of developing an infection. Mm -hmm. The metal that we use to repair the ankle, it can be an issue, right? If you think about your ankle, there's very little skin over your ankle, so it's very difficult to hide metal in a way that it won't be noticeable. Um, so I tell people that noticeable that, in terms of vision or noticeable in terms of feel in terms of feel really. Mm -hmm. And so I tell people that, you know, you may notice it. Uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's very unclear whether removing it is of actually of any real benefit. And so I tell people to wait at least one year after their surgery before they make that decision. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if, if the fracture is healed, which is what our job is, our, our job is to put it back in the right position and hold it there so the body can heal it. Once it's healed, the metal can be removed. Okay. And so, what, what percentage of people would you estimate? I mean, 5% or less. I mean, I think it is done a lot, um, but I, I think that it's very unclear. And uh, the, again, the data, I think, would reflect this as to whether it's really beneficial. Okay. But for those people who are significantly irritated or notice it and feel it, it's a reasonable choice for them to have the hardware removed. But again, that's a vast minority, of, I mean, a, a small minority of patients are having that. Correct. Okay. And then um, you mentioned infection. What's the treatment for an infection in general after an ankle surgery? Yeah. So... So there's, again, a spectrum, right? So if you have what looks like an infection of the skin, I mean, that can be managed with, with antibiotics, typically just antibiotic pills. I, I have a very low threshold about that because, again, that we talked about the distance between the skin and the metal and the bone is a few millimeters, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, so I think if you have someone presenting with what looks like an infection, meaning redness, swelling, drainage, 
uh, certainly fevers or chills, that usually is a surgical treatment um, to, to clean the area plus managing it with antibiotics. And, and there's data looking at that as well, talking about if you can remove the hardware, should you do it, right? Because the metal can harbor the bacteria, basically. Um, and so that would say that basically if you're, if you're getting to it within the first couple of weeks, mm -hmm. you can safely leave the metal in place and expect it to heal. Got it. Okay, so the goal, obviously, heal it. Yes. Heal the fracture and eradicate the infection. Correct. And most of the time you can do that with a washout type procedure mm -hmm. and retention of the hardware, keeping the hardware that you put in there in the first place. Correct. Okay. And um, other complications, nerves, arteries, pain? So, so um, nerve injury, I think, can happen with this. So there's specifically a nerve around the fibula bone mm -hmm. that gives sensation on the top of the foot called the superficial perineal nerve that can be injured. I mean, I think that's something... For me, and when I'm teaching residents and, and, and teaching them how to do these surgeries, you need to find that nerve. It's a diagnosis of exclusion. If you don't find the nerve, it's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So I make a point of you can't be afraid of the anatomy. You have to know that the nerve is safe. You're not, you don't have to, you don't want to hope it's okay. You want right. to know it's okay. Right. And so, but that, that nerve can be damaged. Um, and so sometimes people have some temporary numbness on the top of their foot. That usually resolves after a few months. And what about things like time off work? crutches, uh, the wheeled walkers. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of equipment and a lot of things that surround an ankle fracture like a person's life. So right. how do you advise about that? So it's interesting. So I did an ankle fracture this morning. And so, so this guy started talking to me about going back to work. It depends on what work you do, right? right. So if you're someone who is working construction, it's going to be four to six months before you're really back at work. Uh, I mean, doing what you do, right? But mm -hmm. if you're someone who, who is doing a sedentary job, um, which is what this person was doing, I'm telling him, you know, I'm, it's realistic as long as you have someone to take you there that you could be back at work at, six, at, six, at two weeks, mm -hmm. you know, um, you're still going to want to dedicate some time to elevation. But I also tell people, you know, uh, obviously, I, listen, I would probably be my own worst patient if this <laughs> happened to me. I would be. I mean, and so, but, but I tell people, listen, you get one chance at recovery. So you just want to dedicate those first two weeks to just doing what you need to do to make sure this heals properly. Yeah. And then I don't know if you've had the same observation that I have, but as a sports medicine doctor, I, I marvel at how well athletes come back from what are disfiguring massive injuries to their foot and their ankle. I think about Dak Prescott and Gordon Hayward and, and Paul George and these guys who've had these yeah. awful... Yeah. Tiger Woods is hitting golf balls again. Right, yeah. these awful injuries. Yeah. And yet, you know, when I also look at a patient who's had an ACL injury and it's an inch-long ligament inside the knee and there's not as much deformity and how that seems to be equally, if not more, career-threatening than that devastating injury to the ankle, you know, I, why do you suppose that is? Well, just because they have better surgeons. Uh, oh, so no. Uh, so I, I think I think uh, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I, I honestly don't have an idea. I mean, I think so. One of the things I would say is that I think that ligament healing is, in some ways, I don't know if we've totally figured that out. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's what I would say is that is that we I don't know if we totally understand how to repair. Ligament, and I'm just talking about for traumatic injuries, yeah. right? So, so I'm not sure that we understand how to really impart stability, but still allow for the appropriate motion for complex joints. Yeah. And the knee clearly is one, right? Yeah. I mean, so, so I think that's one of the things I would say. I, I, I don't know. I mean, the honest answer for that is also, also I think that these people are just remarkably well-conditioned individuals who, who can overcome this. Right. So where do you see advances coming in the treatment of foot and ankle injuries in general? Let's 
keep it specifically on ankle fractures. You mentioned the compression wrapping, which seems like such a simple, almost primitive intervention that has a massive beneficial effect on outcome. Right. Any other sort of principles that you think will be adapted widely in ankle mm -hmm. fracture surgery that you see coming down the pike? A lot of times with ankle fractures, there's injuries to the ligaments between the tibia and the fibula. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the ways to talk about it's called a high ankle sprain. Um, that that complex of ligaments is called the syndesmosis. So, so historically, when that was injured, we would place a screw between the the tibia or between the fibula and the tibia bone to hold the two bones together to substitute for the ligaments, which is the classic orthopedic surgeon like, oh, it's broken. Let me screw it together. Right. Like, oh, it's a joint. Let me screw it together. That makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's it. That was being sarcastic. Just for the listener, you're being, sarca yeah. being sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Uh, and so it's like, oh, you have an ACL injury? I'll put a screw between your tibia and the fibula. I'll be back to take it out. You'll be great. You know? so, right, right. So, so we've moved towards this concept of flexible fixation, um, meaning that instead of uh, putting a screw between the bones. Something rigid. Yeah, something rigid because there is movement between the tibia and the fibula above the ankle. We're now using devices that have some flexibility. So it's a heavy suture material. So I think of it as a check rein, right? right. So I mean, it, it lets you go to a certain point, but then it stops you. Now, I mean, the next step from that would be, okay, well, why aren't we just reconstructing these ligaments or repairing them, mm -hmm. right? And so there is, like, Dean Lorich at HSS was really, I think, revolutionary uh, in terms of uh, what I would call fragment-specific fixation of these injuries, meaning, mm -hmm. meaning fixing each piece not because it's broken but because of what it's going to do to the ligament that's attached to it. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually an area where I think uh, we're going to go kind of back <laughs> back to basics. So it's restoring the bony anatomy in to, order to restore the ligament anatomy. In order to restore anatomy. the ligament anatomy. And, and so one of the things that's been shown, I think, repetitively is this thing, the, the posterior malleolus, right? So there's this piece of bone in the back of the ankle that's usually torn off as, as a broken bone that's attached to a very strong ligament. And historically, that was just ignored right. and thought of as irrelevant, um, except if it was a really, really big piece. And, and actually what we're, what we're seeing time and time again is actually fixing that piece, no matter how small it is, makes the ankle much more stable. Hmm. Um, and so what we're also seeing is that we're not that good at fixing the fibula to the tibia. What I tell people, it's like, it's like trying to put a golf ball on a tee, but the tee's missing a third of it, hmm. right? Yeah. And so instead, why don't you just make the tee hole, right? So, so make it a whole tee, and then you don't have to worry about where the golf ball lives. So reconstruct the tee yeah. with the ligament anatomy. Right. 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 Okay. And, yeah. And then in terms of implants and fixation, do you see any major changes coming down the pike, or do you think um, it's going to still remain plates and screws? I, I, I don't, you know, I've seen some things about that, so I think that um, there is some interest, I would say, in some less invasive techniques uh, to fix specifically the fibula bone um, with what's called an intramedullary nail. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it will work for very, very specific patterns, but I think it's like any other new device. It's going to find its place. It's going to be probably overused. <laughs> Uh, and then scale back and then once you realize. And then scale back once you, once you realize the downsides of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the other um, – And I mean, an intramedullary nail, um, I like to explain it as a splint from the inside instead of exactly a cast right. on the outside. Yeah. Right, but the problem is you don't need a splint. You need something absolutely holding it perfectly stable. That's right. the that thing. Is like, this, isn't, this isn't the middle of the leg. This is the joint. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the, the other thing I think is really in our understanding of, of the recovery, actually. I think that's the most revolutionary thing is we have, I think, for a long time 
immobilized people for too long and kept them non-weight-bearing for too long. That's something I'm actually really, really interested in. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of good research going on around the country about this, and there's already really good data to show that we should be allowing our ankle fractures that we have fixed to be weight-bearing at two weeks. Um, and, and, and so I think that's something that just isn't done mm -hmm. uh, because people are afraid of it. And, and I think you shouldn't. I mean, it is. It's, when I first started doing it, it was scary. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I have a hard time imagining that if I had my ankle put back together that I would be able to put all my weight on it at two weeks. But I could see the benefit of putting some of it right, and then gradually increasing it as opposed to keeping all my weight off it for a full six weeks and then try to, starting at that point right. to put weight on, which is what – I was taught to do during my residency I mean, 16, 17 eight, years eight, ago. Eight, eight weeks, 12 weeks. And yeah. it's, it's just completely arbitrary. Those yeah. numbers were just made up. Yeah. And then, and then finally, any pearls, any parting thoughts about ankle fracture surgery uh, for patients recovering from ankle fracture surgery or just non-operative ankle fractures? So the pearls I would say is, uh, yeah, be patient. <laughs> so that's what it is. It's hard. And listen, like I said, I, I, I can't I, – I, am amazed at my patient's ability to recover from these things. The pearls are, uh, you know, when, when you do injure your ankle like this, you know, you want to make sure that it's someone who's really interested in doing it, right? I mean, I have zero interest in people with anterior cruciate ligament injuries, and so I get them to someone who is interested in it, and I think, you know, it, unfortunately, for better or worse, who fixes your ankle makes a huge difference, yeah. and, and so I think that you want to make sure you're getting yourself the right hands. My guest today is Dr. Brian Weatherford. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to be on Abhijai's Orthoinform podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Abhijai's Orthoinform, brought to you by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute, where our goal is to always help you move better, live better. If you would like to learn more about IBJI and our comprehensive musculoskeletal services, please visit our website at ibji.com. The discussion in this podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only regarding musculoskeletal conditions. The information provided does not constitute the practice of medicine or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Listeners with musculoskeletal conditions should seek the advice of their healthcare professionals without delay for any condition they have. The use of the information in this podcast is at the listener's own risk. The content is not intended to replace diagnosis, treatment, or medical advice from your treating healthcare professional.